Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to RCR, Greenwashed with Jaspreet and Don. And uh, today, we're very, very honoured to have in our presence a, um, a gentleman who I'd describe as uh, a brave uh, person, someone with a lot of courage in his own country. And I think he's the first politician from a foreign country that we've had on RCR, so uh, a current politician, that is. And so we welcome Dr. Terry uh, Boudet to uh, to RCR Greenwashed. Um, he's sitting in a, um, on a, he's on vacation in a central, perhaps, or central or southern, the Netherlands. Uh, clearly, he's um, an MP, as I've said. He um, represents the Forum for a Democracy um, Party in the Parliament, and goodness knows how that Parliament works. It seems fairly awkward, Terry, but um, I call you uh, bold and edgy and uh, someone who's eloquent and asks all the hard questions and put yourself out there. We don't have that in New Zealand, so we need to learn more from you. How's it going over there? <laughs> well, thank you, first of all, for having me on your show and uh, uh, for the compliments you just uh, expressed. It's, it's, it's a great pleasure to talk uh, to an audience right now or, and, and with uh, journalists from literally the other side of the world. It's, it's so beautiful that in this this age that we're living in, which in, in many respects is darker and bleaker than, than the many of the, the times that uh, have, have passed before us, we are reaching out to one another and we are building this, uh, one could say, global anti-globalist alliance. That's <laughs> the way I like to call it. So it's a pleasure. And um, Yes, I'm an MP, I'm a member of parliament in the Netherlands. I'm the founder of a political party there. I'm also the author of a number of books. And one book is actually coming out this summer in English. It's called The COVID Conspiracy. It's about all the completely indefensible and harmful policies that were implemented during the COVID period um, it was the number one bestseller in the Netherlands, and I'm really hoping to reach an international audience with this uh, volume that's now appearing. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the Netherlands that has similarities with the things going on in New Zealand. I really think that there is a global agenda being pushed on us. It, it relates to LGBTQI+. It relates to the climate change, environmentalism. It related, obviously, during COVID was very obvious, uh, but also uh, many other subjects like the mass immigration that is destabilizing our societies. Uh, the limitations on free speech. I mean, we, we are passing hate speech laws here in the Netherlands uh, every two months or so. It's really very scary how the free society is slipping away under our under our very eyes so um let's get together and uh, and try to do something about it uh, with all the people of goodwill across the world absolutely agree couldn't agree more actually terry but tell us from launching the forum for democracy as a think tank in 2015 to now being in parliament what what got you down this path and how are you finding it so far 
Yeah, so I um, I, I set up a think tank in, in 2015, 2014, actually, that mm-hmm. was aimed at, at pushing for an exit referendum. It was after the Brexit referendum was announced in Britain, and uh, it, it became a very successful think tank. We wanted sovereignty back to the Netherlands, uh, and um, so successful, actually, that at some point we were one of the organizers of a referendum on Ukraine. And mm-hmm. two-thirds of the Dutch population in 2016 said, no, we don't want a war with Russia. We do not want Ukraine in NATO and all these things, which obviously then was pushed through anyway. And we see the result now. We, we are in a war, which is a terrible war with only losers. But um, uh, this happened in 2016. And I, I, I really felt that after winning a referendum on such a super important and a huge geostrategic subject uh, if the government ignores it the result of it the outcome which the government did then you either have to leave the country or leave politics altogether or you have to step in and cross the rubicon as it were and um and go for it and that's what i did so in 2017 i participated in the national elections i won a couple seats and then the party grew steadily and currently we are the largest political party in the Netherlands in terms of members. So we have the largest membership. And that's something I'm particularly proud of because it, it suggests that we're really a bottom-up movement. And that's the thing we need the most right now. Mm-hmm. And, and so going, going right back um, to sovereignty and, um, and protection of your borders, because I go back to uh, what, what woke me up. There was a program uh, on our news, uh, on CNN news from America, on Sky News in New Zealand, and it talked about this world without borders. And this was probably about 2008. And I thought, oh, that's a nice strap line. That all sounds really good. Nothing to sort of bother me here. And then I realized that that was an agenda in itself. Um, to have a world without borders was the globalist ideal. And I I sort of had a wake-up call. Now, so, so, so really, uh, the question is, what does nationalism really mean for you, Terry? What does it really mean? Yes, yes, I think that's a very uh, important question. Um, nationalism is the opposite of globalism, and it is the uh, expression of a community to self-govern, to live by their own rules, their own standards, to to make decisions on their own, to be able to repeal or change decisions, to to have uh, a public debate that actually leads to something that may lead to a decision, that may lead to changes in policies. Uh, So a nation or a nation state uh, is a a self-governing unit, and that is, I think, an expression of freedom. So globalism is irreconcilable with freedom it's impossible to have both a global bureaucracy and freedom uh, it's 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 either or it's it's this or that and i'm i'm very much on the side of freedom but most uh most institutions most most large institutions most multinational corporations the the um the the supranational organizations the big banks the, the the global think tanks they all they're all aligned towards this this globalist 
dystopia, this globalist ideal that um, that is coming to us in, in, at a very high pace, very rapid pace. Now, last week, Terry, we heard news coming out from the Netherlands about your prime minister resigning over as you know the yeah. migration or was it the asylum issue? Are you able to expand more on that? What happened? Well, uh, it, it's not very clear what happened. I mean, formally, the Dutch prime minister stepped down because he um, he felt the current um, uh, policies regarding the relatives of, like the family members of those that have been admitted into the Netherlands, like their children, are uh, contradictory to his political views. So he he ostensibly has a more strict idea of what immigration we should have. But during his 12-year period as a prime minister, he allowed 3 million, 3 million people to enter the country. 3 million. And, and so on a, the Netherlands is a country with a total population of 17 million. So that's, that's, a, that's an enormous number. It's huge. So it's very, very um, unlikely that, that this immigration, this little immigration thing, which is ultimately about like five or, or maybe 10,000 people that we're, we're talking about, that that was so important for him to drop the government. So it's, it's a bit unclear. Maybe um, there were some personal uh, vendettas. There are some personal conflicts. Uh, nobody really knows. But it's, it's obvious that the story, that, as it's being uh, presented in the press, is just it's not, it's not very credible. And besides, I think it's very important to make the point here that it doesn't matter who is in power formally in our countries that's a very sad thing but it's it's true because these these people are merely uh, actors in a script that's being written elsewhere so that this is very this has been very clear from the policies that we saw in the united states whether it was obama or it was bush or in britain whether it's tony blair or this guy or that guy boris johnson in france it, it doesn't matter who is in power because it's the deep state it's the bureaucracy behind it it's the big corporations it's the supranational institutions they make the policies that then the politicians posing as decision makers implement so it, it it's it doesn't matter that the government fell it doesn't it doesn't matter that we're going to get new elections like only if you get a landslide victory for opposition parties like mine uh, then you are going to see some differences, obviously. But the, these mainstream parties, they form a cartel. They have essentially the same views. They may pose as, you know, having severe differences of opinion about immigration like we had in the Netherlands. But it's all fakery. It's all, it's just uh, make-believe to give the impression of a vivid democratic debate. You know, it's a very ridiculous. So in New Zealand, we have a um, mixed member proportional representation model, which uh, I think is, looks on the face of it similar to yours, to be honest. It's very hard to tell what yours is from this side of the world. But um, we've got a majority government at the moment for the first time in our MMP history, and it's not pleasant. Uh, all manner of things are going crazy here. So, um, yeah, something that's not really that that obvious and clear what, what it all looks like is probably the best handbrake you can have at the moment. Secondly, 
would you say that uh, you have similarities to the Nigel Farage uh, type person? I mean, he was pro-Brexit, uh, of course. Uh, would you have a similar philosophy to Nigel? Yes, um, I, I'm an admirer of Nigel Farage, and I, I'm very flattered if I'm compared to him or, or likened to him. Uh, I do feel that um, uh, there are, uh, in almost every Western country, movements like mine, like ours. Uh, so there's in, in Britain, uh, there's Nigel Farage. In Germany, there's the Alternative für Deutschland. Uh, we have parties such as uh, uh, the, the Trump movement, the MAGA movement, in, in, in most Western countries. Uh, but the thing that we have not quite established is a, a, a common platform. And the reason is, and this comes to your, um, to your first question about the coalition governments and how the democracy works, the reason that we are, we've been unsuccessful in building a platform together is that we are being played out against each other by these typical swear words that they use against us, these smearing campaigns, where they, they take one of us aside and they bully us with words like racist, like fascist, like all that thing, and hate speech and, and all that. And then the others have been uh, frightened into distancing themselves from others. And so we've been played out against each other. And this is definitely what has happened to Nigel Farage. And we just got the news today that he lost his bank account his mm. bank account was taken from him, and the reasons were purely political. The internal memo that that was the motivation for the bank to to take his bank account from him that that internal memo has been made public, and it's absolutely shocking. This is more or less or whatever worse than cancel culture. This is this is actually destruction culture. This is just you make it impossible for someone to participate in the economic and social life and. And if if we don't get this sense of solidarity right, if 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 we we don't realize that, you know, if if they take can take one from us, then they take can take all, us all. You know, there's no fundamental difference between me or or you or or Farage or anyone else. So this is the thing that I think the left and the establishment have always understood. They they had each other's back, and this this is what the anti-globalist alliance that we're trying to build we've got to start getting each other's back we got to start supporting each other uh, and not trying to get a, a white foot or a quick tap on the back from the well, system by distancing ourselves from each other well i noticed a quote of yours that i've um i've picked up uh, we have been called to the front because we have to because our country needs us and i really like that quote um Mind you, I liked Donald Trump's quote when he said he was going to drain the swamp, uh, but he sort of found it yeah. impossible. And then I found another quote of yours in an interview you did. You said, the deep state is greater than the figurehead leaders and real power does not bow to elections. That's, yes. that's absolutely where we are. But uh, is there any way you can expand on that and what the remedy can be apart from the yeah, alliance? Well, I, 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 I'm very happy that you brought forward these quotes uh, of mine because I think they're they're exactly how I view the world and and how I 
got to view the world through COVID because COVID really woke me up to the to the reality of of the deep state of this bureaucratic uh, network that is pushing a certain agenda, an agenda of control, of centralization of power, of totalitarian uh, measures. Um, and uh, COVID showed this to me because it 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 was obvious that firstly uh, there is not a functioning public debate where arguments decide policies because it was it was from this is um indisputable uh, evidence in the netherlands was it was was brought brought forward there was a report by the government itself that lockdowns would cost significantly more qualitative life years than that they would save save this was uh, indisputable from april may 2020 onwards there was no serious doubt about it there was no doubt about the mortality of covid it was obvious that it had the same mortality as the flu or, or almost the same like roughly the same uh, you know all these all these examples there's so many of these examples of irrationality of policy the journalists didn't say anything the um the, the academic world didn't do anything there it was just a, a complete uh, failure of the societal structure to bring forward arguments and the and the second shocking thing about it was that every western nation implemented the same, same. irrational policies on on literally the same day march 16 2020 lockdowns were implemented across europe this was a coordinated thing it was not a national consideration so we had all these debates in parliaments every week we were just debating covid policies but parliaments didn't actually decide policies and so this this it's irrational it's not it's not a rational thing it's an irrational development that the deep state desires and it's an international thing and these two things are, are to me uh, are you know, only confirmed with the things that we've seen afterwards the pushing of the lgbt agenda i mean what what sane person what serious normal person would believe that eight-year-old kids should experiment with their gender I mean, that's. I think that's just. It's. It's. Uh, everyone who I. I just got a boy. I've. I've. Uh, I've one child, and it's completely obvious to me that this is not on his mind. He is not. He's not thinking about uh, mm. doing a, a gender change operation. This is just. This is implemented by a system globally that has a, a, a fundamentally different view of what mankind should become a transhumanist if you will agenda and and so this is the, this is a really really important thing to realize because people continue to understand politics through these national elections and through these these debates that you see and and they and they keep when you fail when you're when, when you're uh, proposed changes or uh, fail they put the blame on you so they 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 come to me and say look you have great points but if only your tone would be a little bit different or if only you would express yourself slightly whatever to, to the right to the left or nuanced or this kind of thing then i'm sure you 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 would 
have success because it's it's obvious that you're right. You have great points, and and this is a, a way to mislead the public. Mm. There are this, everything you see in Parliament is fake. They are actors who don't even need a script to play the role that, that's being assigned to them. But it's excruciatingly hard to get the general audience to understand this. People are have such a deep, innate trust in the democratic process, in, in public debates, and they also think of themselves as rational beings. They, they, they really, that's a fundamental belief that people have, that they themselves are rational. Whereas we know from so much of mass psychology and crowd control and all these things that people people have a tendency to behave irrationally, especially in large groups. Mm, mm. I, I have an eight-year-old terrier and I can tell you, I decide their bedtime. So choosing their own gender is way, way beyond their remit right now. But yes. uh, I, I couldn't help but notice just a moment behind you. There was, yeah, you're sitting in your car right now. And that brought to my mind emissions. We have this place right now, New Zealand, completely. There seems to be a one-point agenda, emissions, bike lanes, and so on. And here I see a Dutchman, not on his bike, but in his car right now. So, so yeah. tell me, has how bad, because COVID sort of seems to be behind us. How bad is the climate madness there right now? Last year? Oh, or sometime, it's huge. We had a lot of news coming out from Holland about the farmers' protest and everything. But it's sort of quietened yeah. now. Yes. Well, uh, this is this is in in itself an, an interesting observation, isn't it? How all these these stories they rise and they're everywhere, and then all of a sudden they disappear. disappear. Rather yeah. like uh, Putin being the one who has cured COVID, because the the day he invaded Ukraine, you know, COVID was over. Mm-hmm. And and this is this in itself is important, I think, to realize that we are being manipulated right. into right. agony to, to be agonizing about x or y or z whichever subject is the subject of the moment and then you know for three months or four months or a year everybody's talking about it and then something else comes up and and this is uh so so this is just a, a side note but it's an important thing i think to realize but yeah so the farmers they were big a year ago internationally and now everybody's sort of quieted down they've They've done all their typical things. They've put a little bit more money into a government fund that supports them in transitioning to, you know, a sustainable whatever, and um, putting windmills or wind turbines on their lands and, and them uh, uh, accepting that because they get more compensation. So there's all these bureaucratic uh, back and forth maneuvers that quite successfully uh, have stifled the uh, the farmers protests in the Netherlands um but um but make no mistake the, the the climate agenda is is definitely being pushed through just as hard as before and it's just that they allocated some more funds and some more um a little bit more time they gave them two more years here half a year extra there that kind of thing and unfortunately, they've been very successful in, in sort of, yeah, quieting down the protests. But uh, um, I'm I'm the- very worried about the climate mystique and, and it's the ecologism that's sort of surrounding it. Have the fortunes of the farmers changed somehow with the 
BBB party. I don't quite know how you pronounce oh, it, no. but has something changed? No, no, not at all. No, it's uh, uh, yeah, maybe just for the international read- uh, listeners. Um, so the Netherlands has a system of proportional representation, which makes it relatively easy for new political parties to participate and to and to to, to gain seats, win seats in parliament. So we had a new party, and uh, it's called BBB, and it means something like the interests, the the the. the yeah, the interests of the farmers and the citizens. That's th- these are three words that all start with a B in Dutch. So it's uh, <laughs> farmer citizens interests, and it's it it's just a this is a just an uh, it's a cartel front organization. It's just it, it it's they uh, uh, it's a movement or a political party that accepts all the major assumptions of the current dominant ideology you know they are in favor of the climate accords treaties they are in favor of the eu they are in favor of all the international immigration agreements and standards they supported covid and the vaccines and everything they support the war against russia and nato's intervention in ukraine they are just in on every subject that you can think of they are mainstream but they have this um this uh, rhetoric of being commonsensical and you know not participating automatically with the system and that kind of thing so and people have fallen for that but it doesn't mean anything for the farmers right and i yeah i was hoping this interview we weren't going to hear that um because I've got a view and um, I've expressed it many times that once you've actually had some handouts from the state, you're you're basically a prostitute to the state uh, forever. And in New Zealand, we can say we're clean from that, but we're still being attacked. And I was hoping that you were going to say something different, that um, these people are clean, they're, um, they're standing tall on principle, on property rights, on freedom, on all the things that, oh, that no. I want to stand for. So oh, it just... No just shows you how we've been suckered on this side of the planet because the news articles suggest that this is a massive movement. But I think I think what you're saying is as, as well is that farmers are notoriously, and I know it's not just farmers, notoriously single in interest. They focus on one thing rather than looking at the big picture of why this is all happening. And as we've talked about, it doesn't matter whether it's climate, uh, cars, coal, COVID, it's all part of the same same bag, really, isn't it? And yeah, I don't get so, it. De- de- definitely, but it, it's not just the farmers. It's it, this is a general uh, phenomenon that we see amongst the 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 the, 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 the normal population that is not professionally uh, occupied with politics. I mean, if you're a normal person with a job and a family and a mortgage and, and you know what, the kids going to sports in the weekends, uh, you're not going to have an awful lot of time to really analyze what is going on. And you follow the news a little bit and and you go with the flow, as it were. So that is how they've, they've managed so successfully to push this radical agenda that that never really got uh, majority support uh, amongst the population in the Netherlands. It's it's quite well documented. The majority in the Netherlands has never been in favor of mass migration, for example. A majority mm-hmm. has never been in favor of the euro currency, which did away with our national currency. 
uh, a majority in the Netherlands has never been in favor of going to war against Russia, as the referendum that I talked about earlier showed. Two-thirds of the population said no. But on all these subjects, people are ultimately maneuvered into acquiescing into the policies because they're like, with immigration, you know, so there's one, there was one real serious anti-immigration party. It was demonized in the 80s and 90s to such an extent that nobody nobody wanted to vote for it. And and you know, people rather die than being called a racist. It's yeah. it's that it's that important for people to get social proof, social acceptance. And there's the, people are are very very scared of all these all of these weapons of the system that are deployed against anyone who has a different opinion than what the system wants. And so we now have the word climate denier. It like rather like Holocaust deniers or or uh, COVID deniers, you know, like climate deniers. It's it, it's um it's something oh people say oh I'm I'm not a climate denier. Uh, as if as if anyone would seriously <laughs> deny that there is a climate but <laughs> but so this is um this is very much what happens with not just the farmers but with everyone um there's some some new guy or or woman uh guy or girl in politics who is presented as the new kid and and people are like, oh yeah, we need something. To, we need something needs to change, but we also want to remain within the socially acceptable. So we vote for someone that is that is brought pushed forward by the system as the alternative. And then obviously, it turns out it's not the alternative. It's actually more of the same, but just a different person. Maybe. Yeah, if different um, different character playing the role, but it's still the same role. It's still the same script and. And the BBB party in the Netherlands is not going to change any any of that. Gosh, and that's that's hard to hear, as John just said. And but that's what we deserve, don't we? When we keep just arguing within the allowed narrative, not daring to say what we really, really think. And yeah, and that's why seen... I think my my up my forthcoming book may be of interest to readers internationally because I I really describe. What happens to you if you do speak out? Because I, in, when when COVID came in 2020, I had just topped the polls in the Senate election. My party was at that moment the largest party in the Netherlands in in the polls in in seats, and I was on on track to become a minister, a member of the government. I was hailed uh, by the the mainstream press as you know the the next. The next good thing in politics, and and there was a lot of there was a lot of um, enthusiasm for for me enthusiasm, but then I I said the forbidden things. I I doubt started doubting the vaccines. I started saying that no, I I I did not believe that carbon emissions have an effect on climate change uh, on the climate. I I said that I I do not believe that we're all going to be one humanity uh, in the future uh, and so on and so forth. I started, started saying the making the fundamental points and not just some policy nuances. And and that really 
has led to a, a, a ban. I have not been allowed on television now for three years. The, the, the mainstream television does not invite me anymore. I'm not welcome in any of the talk show programs. I'm not invited to be interviewed by newspapers. There's a complete, mm, uh, we say, cordon sanitaire. I'm not sure if that word works in English, but it's, it's like a like a complete exclusion from the allowed margins of the debate. And, and as a consequence... Um, other parties have been presented massively pushed by the media to take my place as the opposition parties. Mm. And that is what happened with the Farmers Party. And it, I think it's also what has happened in, in other countries where you get... So you get this... Um, uh, where, where did you have this? Yeah, I think it, it happened more or less between Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson was pushed as as the next best thing, you know, after Nigel Farage. And obviously he wasn't. He was just a, a, a member of the cartel, a member of the mainstream, the gang, the syndicate. And so, but they, they took away the, the votes that otherwise were going to go to Nigel Farage. And they said, okay, this is going to be the real opposition now. This is the new voice. And what the voters got after all, after that was more of the same. I am glad, even though you've not been invited back on TVs and other things, we've been able to see a bit of your parliamentary debates uh, theory. And one particularly that caught my attention was, again, because this, your finance minister has resigned recently, citing security concerns. In one of your debates, you began with describing St. Anthony's College in Oxford, where this lady studied as a training <laughs> ground for the Western secret <laughs> services and globalist elites. I am glad yes, some of that college. is there for posterity. Yeah. Yes, because... it's it, it's it's widely known as spy college, right. St. Anthony. Right. Now, the it was bias... great theatre. By it was great theatre, by the way. Great theatre. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> now the buyout has been. There's been 1.5 billion euros worth of buyout for farms being approved by you at this point. What is ultimately uh, going to happen there? The Dutch farmers, the ones who the government is going to buy out. Yes. Yeah. I um, I think that because money is not, it doesn't has been killed by governments, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, because it's not it's not backed by any anything that has just intrinsic value. So governments can just print money indefinitely, ever since the nineteen seventies. Um, and so uh, this doesn't mean anything. People, okay, people will get a, a certain amount of money on their bank account. The the government will take the land, will put immigrant housing on it, and um, uh, wind turbines for the climate uh, agenda. Mm. And then uh, we will get food shortages, uh, and that's going to be a, a general thing in the western world we're going to get food shortages we're getting we're going to get more scarceness scarcity and as a consequence we will become poorer so the future i envisage is one in which the middle classes will have more or less vanished that is that is what's happening we'll get a, a massive underclass that is then of course subsidized by the state by a universal basic income with all kinds of 
you know, rationing and you get food tickets and CBDC is obviously going to be the ultimate guarantor of this envisioned system where um, so the middle classes are going to disappear, the, the, the small shop owners, the people that, that actually have property, the people that have land, that have their own businesses, that's going to disappear uh, and people are going to be made more and more dependent on the state by this artificially created scarceness uh, and and of course towering above all that will be a, a small and very privileged class of super rich people and corporations that will then control the whole world and isn't that how communism works you know the state becomes the only yeah. viable employer but I, i'm looking at the website for, yes, tri well, for tri-state city uh, theory it is saying it's yeah, going to house yeah. 40 the website says it's going to house 45 million people. What yeah. are these new people? Are these existing people being relocated? What are their plans here? No, they're, they're, they need new people. And it will be the end of the European race. It will be the end of the white Europe as a, as a, as a uh, place for, for predominantly white people. That's going to be the end of it. And that is, of course, part of the agenda. It's uh, the destruction of the social fabric of society of our current societies in the name of and diversity uh, uh, well yes that, that, i mean diversity is is a mantra that they use to push a certain agenda but but, but they are not genuinely in favor of diversity <laughs> they don't they, they themselves don't marry with uh, people from different ethnicities uh, and they they don't uh uh, celebrate diversity of opinion, for example, they are not in favor of diversity. Diversity is a weapon to be used uh, as a pretext for pushing an agenda of centralization, uh, of concentration of power and wealth, and ultimately of um, um, uh, expropriation, cultural expropriation, social expropriation and uh, economic expropriation. And that's what we're witnessing. And, and the scary thing, but also the encouraging thing in, in a certain way, but the scary thing is that this is happening all over the world. And the encouraging thing is that we, we have the ability, we have the power to reach out to each other now through, uh, through the internet, obviously. And, and, and I think that there, there is only one way to stop this peacefully, and that is by raising the awareness amongst the general population. That's just what I'm, I'm doing every day. I'm trying to talk to people to get people to see the, the pattern behind the seemingly separate issues that John was just asking about. You see the farmers, they realize that it's, you know, they think it's only about the farmland. They don't see that the larger picture, but the same is true for the, for the small shopkeepers who get to pay more and more taxes and they have to see that their, their situation is essentially the same as the situation of the farmers, even though seemingly very different And the, the parents must understand that what they're doing to their children with the transgender agenda is essentially the same as, you know, all these things, they have to, there has to be a point where people see the larger picture. And that is what I'm trying to do. That's why I think it's so important to talk to people like you, to, to, to travel, to, to publish this book uh, in, in English, 
And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing more people rise up and speak out in the way that I've been doing. Because I, I do think that although in every Western country movements like ours exist, that I am probably one of the most outspoken uh, voices in the Western world right now. And that's, and that's not because I'm the only one who thinks these things, but I'm, I just have large enough balls to say it. Yeah, well, and we're, we're thankful for that, Terry. Um, Jordan Peterson has been once or twice down south uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, and um, maybe you're aligned with him a little bit or a lot. Um, it's interesting. I talk about the concepts you've just talked about is uh, neo or new age feudalism. It's right here in front of us, and we don't even seem to uh, want to witness it or, or acknowledge it. And when I say to people uh, that they say the government must do something, and instantly I've lost them because I always say the government must not do. And that, why do we let why do we let governments pretend that they own everything and we own nothing because uh, that they don't own anything? And yet they speak as if they own everything that I own. Um, why is it that we're so weakened to let that um, let that happen? Well, this is, a, I think, a psychological uh, uh, phenomenon. People are very obedient. Hmm. Uh, this is this is true in the workplace. Uh, I'm now being interviewed by you as I am in the Dutch countryside because I run a small uh, corporation, small business that collects the, the food directly from the land, the farmer's lands, and puts it in boxes and then send it to you know, our sus subscribers. So we have a couple thousand people that have subscribed to the service and people get food fresh from the land. It's, it's actually better quality than what you would get at a supermarket, but the price is also cheaper. So it's, a, it's really a very exciting project that we're undertaking and I... I have some some time off from Parliament now, so I I spend my vacation trying to set up such a, a nice uh, small business, small small organization. But the thing that I am realizing, as I'm now effectively the director of a factory, <laughs> of a, a you know a place where we're packing boxes and sending them out, is that the people that come here to work, they are they're good people. They are they're smart people. They they when you have an individual conversation with them. They, they are thinking people, they have opinions, they're very nice. But as a group of employees, they are here waiting for me to tell them exactly what to do. What to do. And they don't even, they don't, they don't, they don't question the authority. They, they wouldn't think of trying to reorganize things if, if they're done less efficiently right now, for example. No, they just, they follow orders, they obey, and, and they do what they're being told. And I think... So that's, this is really not to say anything negative about these people. I think they're great people. I just think that in a group, people have a habit to become obedient and to stop thinking for themselves. And you see that at a micro level, like I see here at the factory, or at a larger level, society. I think people are, they like to comment on things. When they're having their coffee break, they like to say, oh, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed this. I'm annoyed that. The prime minister is is boring the prime minister is stupid whatever but at the end of the day they don't they don't have a, a real a real thirst for revolution for for fundamental change for resistance this is a i think it, it it's probably a sociological law that 
you're going to see something like 80%, 85% of whatever group of people will more or less acquiesce to whatever it is that's being put to them. Hmm. And, and I think that um, this sociological fact uh, sheds new light on um, the mythology of our history. So, for example, the French Revolution is myth- mythologized as the revolution by the people, right? The French people rose to the feudal overlords, uh, blah, 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 and created a democracy. This is, this is a mythological story that, that is or a foundational story even of uh, our current order or the, the current society we have and but i think it's 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 very unlikely that such a thing would have happened because people do not do not revolt people do not organize themselves massively and i think by extension the same is is probably going to be true about you know whatever revolutions are being portrayed in the mainstream media for us mm-hmm. Like, oh, Syria, the Syrian people are rising against uh, this, this brutal dictator, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's un- it, this is not in the human nature. People do not rise up against power. Maybe, you know, 10%, 15% there. But, but ultimately, change shifts in power are elite phenomena. I think that's a, that's a sociological fact. And, and that means that... Um, well, our our predicament we need at, at some point we need to organize ourselves to such an extent that we have we we actually acquire uh, elite status uh, power uh, mm. uh, financial power uh, media power and that is why i've been building uh, i've been trying to build a parallel society alongside my parliamentary work we we cannot just fight the battle in the battle of ideas because ideas do not have consequences unfortunately richard weaver famous conservative commentator wrote a book which is called ideas have consequences but i I don't think ideas have consequences in the sense at least that that they influence a public debate and then a public debate influences uh, the ballot box and then the ballot box influences uh, policy i i don't think that chain of of events is conclusive. That's not what explains what's happening to us. And we have to adapt our strategy accordingly. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, the dynamism of, of ideas when it's come to building gadgets and inventing things is all all fine and dandy. Quite different in a political sense, isn't it? Uh, well, I think that's exactly. what I'm getting out of this. So, um, look, I, I think uh, we've we've had a, uh, 45 minutes of your time and we're very, very grateful, uh, Terry. Uh, I never even introduced you anywhere nearly good enough. Um, clearly, this man has got a doctor of philosophy and uh, he's written lots. And I'd encourage listeners to go on the websites and study, for instance, your thesis on sovereignty. And this, I think it's on the assault of, of, of borders and things like that. Um, I've only read the conclusion of it, to be fair, Terry. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, look, there's lots there. Typical. There's- Typical. <laughs> Look, I, 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 if I've got time, I'll go back and read the rest. But it's interesting. And and Jasper Eat is the um, is the um, uh, what would you call the reader extraordinaire? She reads every word um, and quickly. 
but so we are in in your debt today, uh, Terry, and we know that you're doing what some of us would love to see happen in our country. You're doing it in your country. There's a lot of similarities that you have you have some friends around this side of the planet. I can tell you, uh, maybe not enough yet, but let's hope we're a growing movement. And we thank you for being the first um, foreign or uh, well, out of out of our border MP on RCR Radio Greenwash. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank for you. Your time, thank Terry. you very much. Have a great day. You right. too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio.